you're on Community Radio, 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines, and you're with Scotty today and Annie. Uh, we're joined on the telephone, on the dog and bone, from all the way down in uh, in Melbourne, I believe, uh, by Godfrey Mose from Cooperative Power. Are you there, Godfrey? I'm here, Scotty. Thanks you're for having there. me. Excellent, excellent, very good. Welcome to the show. Um, yeah, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about Cooperative Power? Yeah, Cooperative Power is a project that a few of us came up with, coming out of um, a reading of Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything. Uh, so the genesis of the project was really about how bringing electricity and at the retailing end into community and social ownership, um, how that those changed relationships allows us to contribute to a more sustainable world uh, and a better cost of living for rank-and-file union workers. Yeah, right, right. Um, all right, so it is quite a focus on, on the union members uh, thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Tends to it comes from reading the climate crisis as a component of a broader crisis of capitalism, I guess. Um, and so we wanted to do something that started with people's bread and butter everyday experiences around energy systems. And we all get electricity bills, whether it's opening them up via email or getting them in the post. And that that hip pocket is a real thing, and we wanted to take that experience away from climate inaction and towards climate action. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess it's come out of the uh, the National Union of Workers a bit, um, which is uh, where you're based, isn't it? What, yeah. what do you guys get up Correct. to? What did you say, Scotty? Sorry, uh, what do the National Union of Workers do? I mean, most unions, trade unions, sort of represent a, a certain body of workers. Uh, who are your folks? Yeah, we represent workers who are at the pointy end of exploitation. Um, so our workers feed you, make the goods that you need. Um, they're in the logistics supply chain, so without us, Australia stops. So... We do a lot of really important and necessary work, but in industries where there's a lot of insecure and casual employment and people have fluctuating incomes, but the bills tend to stay the same, if not go up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mate, I'm getting a bit distracted here as well. Um, yeah, no, that's that's excellent. Now, how is um, how is uh, cheap power going to help those those members of yours? Well, what we want to do is take the profit out of the retail end of this privatised electricity market and redirect that towards um, community and socially owned renewable energy. And so there's a lot of money that gets wasted in um, sales bonuses and Ferraris and luxury goods for people in marketing. And our bet is that we take the profit out of that end, share some of it with union workers and their communities and invest um, a whole bunch of it into community-owned renew- renewables, then we'll all be better off. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. 
Uh, so why did you choose to start up as a cooperative? Uh, really a commitment to democracy. A cooperative is about one member, one vote, uh, about people and organisations having an equal say. Uh, and so that commitment to democracy led us to the view that uh, we could either go on one person, one vote, or one dollar, one vote, which is the corporate model. Uh, and so the cooperative model is the name for running an organisation on one person, one vote. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And do you know what the uh, the cooperative principles are? Because I guess it's a it's a movement that's been going for a while. Do you know where co-ops came from? Yes, cooperatives have a very long um, history, uh, and the cooperative movement and the union movement uh, were born together in in nineteenth century England. Um, and cooperatives were one way that organised workers responded to the horrors of the Industrial Revolution, uh, and there's a very long history of union workers forming cooperatives and cooperatives and workers uh, and unions working in together. So we're looking at the, the Rochdale model from the mid-19th century, but we don't want to stop at consumer cooperatives. For us, cooperative power is a little engine that can help generate a whole bunch of worker cooperatives um, and other forms of community-owned cooperatives. So the way that I look at it, cooperatives and unions, they're the, the bricks and mortar that workers can use and communities can use to, to rebuild an economy that's in, in the interests of people, that puts people first. Yeah, right. No, that's interesting that the history goes so far back together. Um, is there a big history of, of is unions and co-ops working together? Uh, yeah, there, there is quite a big history of unions and cooperatives working together, but it's kind of been forgotten, I think, since since the end of World War Two. If you walk into the ETU office in Victoria, um, they have a, fly, a mural up that has their founding flyer, um, that, well, the mass meeting flyer for come and form a union in the early 20th century, uh, and at the bottom of that flyer, you'll you'll see that it's it's printed in a cooperative printing house. So that little snapshot just kind of tells you where we're at. I, I think the more negative experiences in Australia between the relationships of cooperatives and, and unions comes from the fact that, um, particularly from the seventies onwards, there's quite an antagonistic relationship between farmer cooperatives and unionised workers, but. Um, I, I think that that just reflects a moment in time that it was a lost opportunity because so many of those farmer cooperatives now have turned into big global multinationals and, and ultimately both the workers, who at the time might have had an anti antagonistic relationship with the farmer cooperatives and the farmers, have really lost out because of that shift. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a pity, isn't it, really? Um yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, ah, there we go. That's where I was. I'll train a thought derailed. Um, so you, you guys uh, at uh, Cooperative Power have certainly uh, managed to bridge that uh, that little blip in time. You've got unions and um, cooperatives in as your members. Um, who's eligible to be a member of Co-op Power? So Co-op Power, we're trying to get at a 
crisis in climate, democracy and living standards. So we really want to build associational democracy. It's a bit of a dirty term in very in these very individualistic times. So any um, any membership-based organisation that is democratic is eligible to join cooperative power, That whether it's a community energy group, um, a cooperative community group, a union, um, an NGO run on democratic principles. What we want to be is a, a meeting space, not the only one, but a meeting space for civil society to get together and, and remake the energy system in the interests of people generally. And it is the members of those um, organisations who have access to the, the benefits of the services that cooperative power provides. So technically speaking, it's, what, it's what's called an enterprise cooperative, which I'm sure is a very exciting term, but it's a cooperative of groups. I see, yes, yes. So I guess another name for that would be an umbrella cooperative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, well, who are some of the members? I see that you've got some pretty interesting folks in there. Um, you've got yourselves. Um, there's another another union or two, the Tertiary Education Union. You've got Earthworker. I'll say just a quick sentence about Earthworker. Yeah, so Earthworker have been uh, going on for it couple of decades now um, with a really transformative vision of worker ownership um, generally. And they have a, a few different cooperatives within the Earth Worker family, one of which um, uh, is a um, what I would call a, a solar hot water manufacturer. Uh, and then there's another one as, which is based down in Latrobe Valley, and that's very exciting. And another one which is a ethical, um, sustainable cleaning cooperative uh, called Red Gum, which is based in, in Melbourne. Uh, and that continues to grow that Earthworker family. So they have a really interesting vision around cooperatives um, being a way to solve a crisis of sustainability. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's that old principle of if, if, <laughs> if it doesn't look likely the other guys are going to help you, you've got to do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I guess the the other sort of link I've always thought of between the union movement and the co-op movement is that, um, I guess in my lifetime, the union movement appears to have been just fighting the bosses and fighting the bosses and keeping up this eternal fight with, uh, with the opposition. And, and there doesn't seem to be a reconcilable sort of fight in that way. Um, but if all of the yeah. union members simply joined a cooperative and ran their own companies, um, wouldn't that be a logical end point for unions? I, I think so. Uh, I think Australia is well overdue for an expansion of the cooperative and solidarity economy. Hmm. Um, and I think that there is a lot of potential for union renewal around organising for ownership whether that's worker-owned cooperatives or forms of secondary and supporting cooperatives, to help build economic security um, uh, and better community connections for, for workers more generally. So there is some exciting stuff happening globally uh, and regions of the world where it's pretty normal to be employed um, and a member of a cooperative um, 
So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But it's a rich vein of of um, activity that can make a massive difference building cooperatives. Yeah, yeah, and there seems to be a uh, like you say quite a quite a upsurge of the movement uh, across the globe. Um, yeah, what what are some of those overseas models that have inspired you? Uh, well, I think the Emilia-Romagna region of, of Italy, uh, that region is probably pretty close to the size of Victoria in terms of population, mm-hmm. um, much smaller geographically, but it's pretty close to one in three people will be employed in, in some form of cooperative, um, therefore equal owners of, of that cooperative. That's huge. That's like imagining Canberra or, or Sydney as a town where it's it's normal. One person in your family works in a cooperative where they have a democratic stake, ownership stake in, in their business, and that really embeds a lot of community and common good. Yeah, right. So what are the benefits of, of having a, a locally community-owned um, workplace, I guess? Well, um, it's really interesting. They're, they they tend to be more productive in the sense that um, a lot of people tend to think that change comes from great men and women of history or change starts from the top and flows down, but that's a, that, that, that is 180 degrees wrong. Um, Scotty, change comes from the bottom up and the biggest changes happen in society when you have things that change in the everyday life of of people. So um, cooperatives are a a form of enterprise where people on the shop floor get to have ideas um, and if they have ideas that make a difference in the business, they get to benefit from those ideas. Um, So it really harnesses the productive power of democracy. Uh, in a way that is really interesting because if you benefit from those ideas and you get, you don't have to just take the benefit with extra cash, you could take the benefit with extra time to live a more balanced lifestyle. So um, they help with innovation, cooperatives, they provide for um, more respectful workplaces, they provide for more balanced lifestyles for people. There's some fascinating studies um, out there on, on how more resilient cooperatives are, more productive, more innovative, and and just a a more transformative form of enterprise to the extent that you can take two towns in in this Emilia-Romagna region of Italy um, who have roughly the same size in terms of population, all things being equal, and the longevity of people in those towns will correlate to the extent that cooperatives are present in that town. So it makes a difference to people's lives, even to the extent of longevity. Yeah, wow, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then what do you think, what's the, the part of, of cooperative life that um, that generates such like actual lifespan differences? Well, I think you treat people like human beings rather than hogs in a wheel. That's what it comes down to. And if you're a cog in a wheel every day, it's going to grind you down eventually. But if you get treated like a human being and you have that dignity and respect at work, then you get out of bed without a feeling of dread when it's a weekday. Um, that all adds up. Yeah, sort of different attitude, isn't it? Cool, man, I'm going yeah. to work. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, how, how do um, how do members of this sort of co-op? Um, yeah, where, where does the responsibility lie in a co-op like that? How does the democracy well, work? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. The responsibility lies ultimately with the members. Um, so, in a worker cooperative, for instance, you still have a managerial chain. Um, it's just that once a year, you would, the workers who are the owners would get together and elect their management. They go, well, this manager, have we got a good return and investment by paying you a bit more and acting as a manager, or have we not? And if we haven't got a good return on our investment as worker owners, we're going to get someone new in. Um, so that's, that's where responsibility lies with the worker owners. And that is also why, Scotty, I think unions have an important role to play in a cooperative enterprise because it's one thing having the ability to elect a manager, but you've got to make that ability to understand your workplace real. And so there's an important role for training and education for workers to, so they can hold their management accountable. And just like any believer in political democracy has uh, an ultimate belief in the separation of powers, like it's good to have an independent judiciary so that we don't have people like Peter Dutton just making decisions. Um, in a cooperative enterprise of a given size, it's important to have an economic separation of powers and have an elected shop floor union delegate committee and an elected management committee to better protect everyone's democratic rights. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so how, how what, what are the benefits to, to the uh, co-ops? I guess we, we've just been talking about worker co-ops there. Yeah. Um, what, what are the, uh, what's the difference between that sort of co-op and the umbrella co-op that, uh, that you're talking of? Well, Really, any enterprise needs a fertile environment in which to thrive and build up. And cooperative power, part of the way that we've envisaged it, is it is a little engine that can help make a whole lot of other cooperatives more possible once we get up and running. So uh, this electricity cooperative, one of our visions, you know, once we've got tens of thousands of people accessing their electricity on a day-to-day basis to the cooperative, we can do really interesting things like provide discounted um, advice for members in terms of having um, uh, energy efficiency measures that they could adopt or install in their homes, um, subsidise the rollout of solar hot water heaters, for instance, so that they're affordable for workers and their families, uh, and and through that creation of a market um, and relevant smart subsidies where we're redirecting the profit away from the top end of town and to those cooperatives, we make more cooperatives possible. So the consumer cooperative, in, in my kind of thinking, is a supporting cooperative that helps create a fertile environment for other cooperatives to thrive. Mm, mm. And you've you've got um, you've got a, a bit of an aim, I guess, of, of making um, making your mob sort of do that. Um, what's the the concept of the keystone that you've come up with? Yeah, so for us, um, a keystone in a stone arch bridge. If you're travelling over the bridge, you you probably won't notice it, but you'll once you've 
gone over the bridge and you look back, you're, you're where you were and then you're where you are um, after the journey. And that for us is a bit of a metaphor as far as the necessary transition we need to make to a sustainable and democratic, truly democratic society. Um, and we kind of think with cooperative power that once we've made that journey, people look back, no one will really notice us. We're a pretty boring little electricity retail cooperative that might never directly employ a whole bunch of people and, and might not be at the forefront of protests or in the news, but we played a little role that bridged everything together and made a whole lot of other more exciting things possible. So that's why we kind of envisage our role like a keystone. It's a necessary thing that can hold it all together um, in the transition but when you're making the transition, you're not really noticing it directly unless you've got a problem with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what are the benefits to the member co-ops of, of being a member of um, Cooperative Power? You said they could access well, the... Uh, yeah, know. for us, um, it, it's a method of, um, say, uh, of encouraging membership to organisations. So if you're a small... Um, community energy group, for instance, and you want to have a 50 or $100 annual membership, then um, you can say, well, for us, one of the benefits is our members can access electricity through this cooperative. And um, that's useful for, for building connections in communities as a, um, as a functional service of membership um, directly on the person-to-person basis. But for the organisation itself, then what we want to be able to do is reward good community organising. So um, any group can go out and set up their own individual retail product partnership now, but we're doing it this in a collective fashion. And so what that looks like is you could go in your community energy group and go and door knock your area and get people signed up to your community energy group and switch people over to the cooperative uh, and then the funds from that switch we can put towards fundraising for the installation of um, the the solar panels that you were looking to put up on the roof of the um, town hall uh, or the community centre or, or the um, wind turbines in a good spot. So um, it is about providing a functional service for membership, something that, that only members can get, but... Um, as a as a also a way of encouraging good group formations because one of the big problems of where we sit today as a society is that social isolation and atomization is stopping us doing the good things that we need to do together to make the world better. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I guess the the whole cooperative idea is to, uh, an antidote to that atomization, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so um, at some point fairly soon, we're going to have to just uh, switch studios again and, and give it another shot. So uh, we're, we're just going to quickly jump to the end and then back again. So uh, how yeah. do people how do people join uh, Cooperative Power if they think that this sounds like a good plan? Uh, well, the easiest way is to uh, get onto our website, Facebook page, Co-op Power, or our Twitter and uh, shoot us through a message and say, I want to join Cooperative Power. Um, and we can uh, take you through. We have a progressive membership for organisations so that big unions, we pay a bit more, and small community groups, 
uh, have a fairly nominal um, entry fee to membership, and uh, then it's available for your group's members. Um, if you're a, a person out there alone and you want to get involved, just shoot us a message anyway and we can um, see what we can do for you. Yeah, and if, if someone's an individual, can they join up? Yeah, um, it's a, if you're a union member, you've got a pretty good shot that you can, you're already eligible um, or you might already be a member of one of those things. And if you're just an individual and you want to join up, let us know anyway because um, we might be able to help you out still. No worries, maybe direct them towards someone who's a member. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, most people live with someone else who's probably a member of one of our groups anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big network really, isn't it? Sure is. Yeah, yeah. So who are some of the um, sort of on the nuts and bolts side of things? Um, who, are, who are you working with? Like um, I know with... Um, With the electricity market, um, yeah. If uh, if you've got some solar panels on your roof, for instance, and you want to export the energy, you have to have an arrangement with a retailer company. And I guess if you want to exactly. use any electrons from the grid, you also have to have an arrangement with that retailer. Are you guys yep. working with a retailer to, um, to? We are. Our vision is to eventually become a, a standalone retailer, um, but we have a retail product partnership with Energy Locals, um, and they're good because they have a social enterprise model where we can understand um, how they pay their bills, which is essentially they access wholesale um, energy and then chart um, for whatever region that they can get their wholesale pricing at, and they charge an administrative fee on top of that. So they don't have a commercial interest in the volume of electricity that a person uses. So they're a good partner for us in terms of um, helping people access more renewable energy or um, have uh, energy efficiency gains um, because it doesn't really change for them if they've got a customer who's using zero or, or, or one electron. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, right. So I guess it hasn't been very long. Are they fairly new? I was doing a show similar to this a couple of years ago and, and the lack of a community sort of focused and owned retailer was the big hold-up. So, yeah, yeah that sounds yeah, good. Yeah, they are, they are pretty new um, and any anyone could join up to them and any um, individual community group um, or organisation could have a retail product partnership with them today. Uh, we're just trying to do it in a union way by um, setting up a collective that interacts with them so that we've got more say and more capacity and then over time take on more functionality from that. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and is there any, um, like, yeah, any other sort of nuts and bolts relationships that you've built with people to get the whole sort of, the whole shebang working? Uh, well, the rest really, uh, we had a good quality feasibility study through the Institute of Sustainable Futures um, and they helped us set the direction that we're heading under now um, and so that was good and we got support from the Victorian government through the New Energy Jobs Fund for that feasibility study. Uh, so there's always been a lot of really good people who are who are helping us out and that's the nature of a cooperative. It's, it's never one person alone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Uh, what are some of the obstacles that you've come across on this uh, on this journey? Well, Scott, you've already identified one, which was um, the lack of a community-focused retailer. So one big obstacle is that uh, energy locals were um, licensed with the national electricity market, but not through the Essential Services Commission in Victoria. So uh, a lot of our members were based in Victoria, so we kind of had to get started in a trial phase for a year longer than we'd like before we could offer people a, um, a an offer in Victoria, which has really only changed um, in the last, you know, couple of weeks. Uh, so that's a big barrier. Another big barrier that we have is um, the fact that, you know, if you look at the Cooperative Power logo, it's two intersecting circles, and for us that's a... That's a metaphor of um, what can be achieved at the intersection of various movements with different ownership models. Um, but there are some parts of the trade union movement that want to try and um, do a union-only thing for services for members, including electricity. Um, that is a surmountable barrier in the, in the sense that I think we can work together through that, um, but it's a real one nonetheless. Uh, and also other... Um, uh, people in the climate movement not necessarily wanting to work directly with the union movement as well can be a bit of a bit of a barrier. So, just the usual stuff that you need in terms of bringing communities together um, is another one. And then finally, focus, and that's probably the biggest one. Uh, yeah, it takes time to switch people. It's not the most exciting thing people would want to think about in their lives, um, and so. That focus and resource, we are probably getting to the stage where um, those of us are volunteering on this around our regular jobs and lives probably need to get together and make sure we can have someone focused exclusively on this project. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, um, yeah, I think it's probably time we need to go to some music. Um, we will do another attempt to get back to you shortly after the music, Godfrey. And uh, if that doesn't work, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. And we'll probably get back to you for uh, a bit more of an exploration of, of what's going on there. No worries. Thanks, Cody. Oh, no worries. Thanks, Godfrey. You're on Community Radio, 2XX 98.3 FM.